Hey, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Name is Brandon Ziski, lead pastor here. If you're a guest or visiting with us, um, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. We want to let you know that we're a church that strives to be simply about Jesus, and we want to help people meet, know, and follow him because we believe that when you encounter him, it really changes everything in your life. And I want to be honest with you, it took everything in my power to not make a cliche sermon series, like 2020. Like, I was really like, come on, we could just do that. And, but I was like, no, 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 let's not do that. But I am excited for the new year because I just want to let you know, I am that kind of guy that makes New Year's resolutions. I like to be ambitious at the beginning of the new year to find myself failing my goals halfway through the year and going, well, I'm not going to make a new goal until 2021. All right, that's just a little bit about me. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm dealing with what you guys call cedar or something, like whatever. Um, <coughs> so if I cough, mute button. Um, okay, so we're starting this series called Take It All. I'm going to explain a little bit about this series and how it came up, but um, to let you know, our staff created a devotional to help you walk along this sermon series for the next five weeks. And so I want to encourage you, you should be able to find it online on the hub or the website, or if you're the type that likes a hard, hard copy um, at the two welcome centers right out here in the front and the side, you'll find them there. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also, one of the things that we do at Austin Oaks Church is that every January and August, we set those months aside to commit those to a month of prayer, okay? Because a lot of times what we do is we do a prayer sermon series, and so this one is a, is a little bit different, but we're still committing ourselves to a month of prayer, and we're going to launch the prayer um, this, this month, this evening at 7 p.m., we're going to have a worship and prayer night, okay? Now, I know some of you folks, like, you know, you go, oh, why would I come and all that kind of stuff. If you've never been to one, I really want to encourage you to do that because our focus is really going to be about the heart, and it's going to be connected to what we're going to be talking about this morning, and so we're going to do that. There's going to be other aspects of this month of prayer that you're going to be able to engage us with, and so just uh, stay tuned for those types of things as well. <coughs> so like I said, every January... I like to set goals, you know, so one of the things I like to do is I like to look back on 2019, ask the Lord, you know, what's been good, what's been bad, you know, search my heart, you know, all those types of things, and as I start to assess and look back, I start to ask the Lord, okay, so what is the path that you want me to be on personally in my own life, you know, vocationally, as a dad, as a, spouse, as a husband, like what are the things you want me to be on, because the reality is you want to be on the right path. We talked about that in December, that it's all about getting on the right path, because the direction determines destination, intentions don't, but the direction of getting on the right path. And so I do the same thing for us as a church. I ask the Lord, you know, what was good and bad of 2019, reflect, and start asking the question, you know, where do you want us to go? What is the path and the thing you want us to be about as a church for 2020? I was hoping, I'm telling you, this is just how, who I am, I was hoping for like some grand strategy of how to conquer the world from the Lord. Like, here, we're going to plant five churches, and we're going to do this. We're going to have this program, and we're going to do this. I was, I was hoping for that, but the thing that kept pressing on my heart over and over and over is that God said, for Austin Oaks Church, this year, focus on the heart. And I kept going, the heart? Okay, what does that mean? You know, and I started to wrestle with that because it doesn't feel that, like, that compelling. You know, it's, but it, the reality is when you understand the importance of the heart, you start to realize that if God gets the heart, it changes everything, right? And so a lot of times in our Christian lives, we deal with symptoms. 
we start to deal with certain things. Like if you're cold or you have the flu, you take NyQuil. NyQuil isn't going to deal with the problem. It deals with the symptoms so you could just get through the night. And that's how a lot of times it is with our lives. We deal with symptoms instead of dealing with the core issue. St. Augustine, he has this quote that basically that if you love the Lord with all of your heart, you can do whatever you want. Think about that. Doesn't that just feel weird? Like, if I love the Lord with everything I have, then I should feel free to do whatever I want. But it's really a genius statement because if you love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, you're going to want to do the things that please Him. You're going to want to honor Him. You're going to want to follow Him, right? And so the reality is, this year we need to start to deal with the core issues that are inside of here, the heart. Because the heart is the wellspring of everything that we are. The heart dictates our choices, our decisions, our thoughts, our feelings. It it informs our pursuits and our passions. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that if God gets more of our heart, everything else falls into place. If God gets our heart, everything else falls into place. So let me make a bold statement. If you struggle with sin, and you can't snap a sin cycle, maybe your marriage is just struggling. It's not where you want to be. Maybe your parenting isn't where you want it to be. Maybe you're struggling with integrity, or whatever the issue is. The remedy to all of it is to love God. Not to try to be better, Not to try to will it to be, I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better spouse, I'm going to be a better mom, I'm going to be a better dad, I'm I'm going to really try to dig in. All those things are important, but those deal with the symptoms. That's NyQuil. we got to deal with the core, and we got to deal with the heart. So when you think about 2020, this is why we use this phrase, take it all, because this is the posture that we're going to pursue as a church for 2020 is this, Lord Take it. Here's what I got. I want to love you more with my heart. I want to love you even more with my soul. I want to learn how to love you even more with my mind and with my strength. And what we need to understand this morning is that our own willpower is not enough. Because what we got to understand and what we're going to discover is that the heart is at the core of it all but our heart, left by itself, cannot and does not want to love God. So how do we love God with all of our hearts? That's the question, and that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Something we say over and over and over here at Austin Oaks Church, and you're going to hear it a lot in 2020, and it's this. And I pray and I hope that by the end of our time together, you understand this a little bit more. The problem isn't that we don't love God enough. The problem is we don't understand how much God loves us. It's not that we don't love him enough. It's that we don't understand how much he loves us. Everything we do, everything from our heart is an overflow of what's inside. We can only love him when we understand how much he loves us. You cannot will yourself to love him more. You cannot try to make yourself to love him more. It comes as a response 
to understanding and knowing how much God loves you. Folks, listen, there is no greater pursuit in your life than to running after the love of God. That is why you were created. Your very DNA, everything about you is hardwired to love God with everything. Before sin entered the world, that is the pinnacle of our existence, is to love him. Because sin came in, now our hearts are dead and calloused and separated from him, that we're not there. We don't want to. Our hearts don't want to. So the greatest ambition, the greatest pursuit of our lives is to love him. In fact, you see this pursuit from cover to cover in this book, the Bible. And I want to read with you real, real quick what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul, is, he's reflecting on his own achievements and the things that he has achieved and who he is and all this kind of stuff. He says in Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, think about that. Like whatever I think I have going for me, whatever think that it gives me advantage, whatever gain I had, however good 2019 was or whatever it is, however, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. It's worth nothing. He continues, indeed, I count everything as a loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing matters more than knowing Jesus. And you've got to understand that the filter that Paul is using isn't just head knowledge. Oh, it's fun to know the mysteries of God. When he says the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, it's a relational quality that's there. To know his love, there is nothing greater than to run after him. Whatever gain you think, whatever advantage you have, whatever you think is important in your life, whatever deceit or lie your heart is telling you that you need to have and go after, it all falls short to knowing Jesus. He continues, he goes, not that I've obtained this. Because Paul's like, I still can't love him perfectly. I still can't love him with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength. Ah, but this is what I do. I forget what lies behind. Because if it's about me getting up and dusting myself off and then trying to earn it, that's not the love of God. So what I do is I forget what lies behind. I get back up and I run back after the love of God. Because he's taken hold of me. And I want to take hold of what he's taken hold of me. Psalm 16. Here's how David writes it. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. When the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, doesn't your heart every now and then just whisper to you, seek his face? In all those moments, your heart's like, hey. It whispers to you some things about God. And I love what David says. I have set the Lord always before me. He's my pursuit. He's my ambition. He's my vision. He's my everything. He's the direction I am running towards. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. And my flesh dwells secure because of the one who is set in front of him. He rejoices. His whole inner being is just full of life. The joy of the Lord is his strength. His flesh feels secure because it's rooted in the hope and the promises of God. 
So what we're going to do in this sermon series is we're going to look at a, um, two main texts, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and it, depending on the Sunday, we're going to look at Matthew's version or Mark's version or Luke's version of the greatest commandment. And here, so if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning, okay? Because we're going to spend the majority of our time in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what Deuteronomy 6 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so now in the New Testament, when the scribes or the Pharisees comes up to Jesus to challenge him, and they ask him this question, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with, oh, I'm sorry, I went backwards. Let's just repeat the same thing. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, get this, on these two commandments depend the whole law on the prophets. Or in other words, like the whole law, everything that I've said hangs off of these two things. In other words, if you do this, you have done everything I require. And I love this. I love this story. I love the fact that it was phrased by the greatest. Because it's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you need to do anything, if you need to focus on anything, it's this. And the teacher, the, the scribe, the Pharisee, is coming to challenge him because at that time, in that day, they had 613 laws or things to obey. Right? So he goes, Master, which one of the 613 is the greatest? And I love what Jesus did. He just quotes the Old Testament. The same thing that has always been the very core of, fabric, of the fabric of the DNA of the people of God. He says, you want to know the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you've got. That's the greatest. Oh, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because if you love me with everything, then you're going to want to do what I'm doing and be like me. And therefore, you will naturally respond this way. Everything else hangs off of this. <laughs> when I read this, a few things happen in my own heart. I read the word command. And there's something rebellious in my nature doesn't want to be told what to do. Anybody else, right? Now, this, this is, like, to me, I always found this weird, especially early on in my faith. Like, I was like, how could God command us to love him? Like, he can't be really a loving God if he's going to command me to love him, right? Like, that's just weird. And I, so I literally just started thinking about that with my kids. Like, how would my kids respond today if every day I looked at them, I said, you must love me? Like, like they might act like they love me out of fear, but they don't love me inside. And so I started wrestling with this, and I go, man, the problem is, it's not that I don't love God enough, it's that I don't understand how much God loves me. So when I hear the word command, and I see it in a negative light, where it's challenging me, that just tells me I don't understand God's heart. Because if God is loving, and if God is good, then everything he says, and everything he does is for our good. And so he's saying, listen, let's cut through all of the clutter, 
Let's cut through all of it. The greatest thing, the one thing you should be all about, and the thing that's going to make you feel more alive, full of joy and peace, is when you run after my heart. Love me with everything you got. I count everything a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I set the Lord before me. Jesus is basically saying, if you love God, everything else falls into place. And I love that Jesus quotes the Old Testament, okay? Because I know there's some people, and, and I'm not sure if there's anyone in this room, but there's some people who think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Like, for some reason, the God in the Old Testament is just an angry and mean-hearted God, and the God of the New Testament is full of love and grace and happiness. That's just, that's just wrong. God is the same. Like, the heartbeat of love and covenant and relationship it's always been at the very core of who God is, and it's always been at the very core of God and his people. And that's why Jesus quoted the Old Testament to give his answer. And he goes all the way back to the Shema, which was a powerful prayer that the Jewish people would say multiple times a day. It formed their identity. It helped them understand everything about them. And here he goes, you're going to love him because of who he is. With your all. God initiated the relationship. He initiated it all. And in kind, we are to respond. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding where you experienced this. I pray that you never have. But imagine with me, if you would, for a moment that you're at this wedding, and the bride and groom are at the moment where they're going to recite their vows to each other. And you can decide if it's the groom or the bride who's going to say what here. So imagine you're in the audience and this is what you hear, either the bride or the groom, say, Today, in the presence of God and these witnesses, I only give you half of my heart. You will get 20 hours of my time per week. I will think of you on occasions. And I will choose to serve you when it's convenient. I will love you back only after you proved your love to me. I will withhold certain parts of my life and my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Today, I'm mostly yours. Don't expect any more. How do you think that marriage will go? God comes to us and he says, everything I am is yours. And I think sometimes we respond that way. We're like, I'll love you when it's convenient. I will love you when it feels right. I will serve you when I have the time. I will put you in front of me when I need it. Folks, if we do that, that should just tell us that we don't understand God's love. Because when you get a glimpse, when you taste and see just a little bit more of God's love for you, you cannot help but want to give him your all. And that's why the heart is so important. Because we've got to understand some things about the heart. In the Greek, the word for heart is cardia. And that means when they talk about the heart in the New Testament, they're talking about the center and the seat of our spiritual life, the fountain of our thoughts, our passions, desires, appetites, affections, our purposes, our endeavors. The heart is where decisions and choices are ultimately made. The heart is where your treasures are, right? 
the heart reveals how you see yourself, how you see other people. There's so much about the heart. Even Jesus said, like, the overflow of the mouth, right? Like, the words you say come from what's in here. Often, so often it's here, the heart, the heart, the heart. And in the Hebrew context of the heart, they see it as like the inner, the middle or central part of a person. And so they always saw the heart as the mind, the will, and the emotions. Like they were never separated. It's the, it's the whole being of you. And here's the problem. Our hearts, apart from Jesus, cannot love him. Our hearts will never choose to make him God Our hearts will always deceive you, will always lie, will always trick you, will always lead you down the wrong path. Your heart will always try to make you God. Always. Your heart is obsessed with yourself. And so the remedy to everything is for our hearts to be made alive. But the problem is is that we can't do that. So how can we love him more? How can we say, God, take it all? How can we do that? It starts with him. We have to remember him, what he has done. And that is one of the reasons why the Shema is so powerful. We focus so often on love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your might. And then we go, wow, I fall way short. I don't think there's been one human being on this side of eternity who's done that for five minutes. Right? So we look at that, we go, well, that's an impossible standard. But we miss it. The front part of the Shema is so important. And Jesus quotes this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Say this word with me, our, our. Come on. Thank you. Write that down. Why is that important? Like, how did Israel all of a sudden get into this relationship with with God to be able to say, our God? Was it because, like, Israel was amazing? Like, was God up in heaven looking around and go, whoa, that people group? They're phenomenal. They're amazing. They do everything right. I hope they, they choose me to be their God. Like, we got to understand how this happened. Like, this, the story of God's people, the story of God's redemption, has always been that God just set his affections and his love on his people because he just did. And so he chose Israel because he loved Israel. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They had all of these promises, and now they're in bondage for 400 years. They really kind of forgot who they were, and they forgot who God was. He came with a powerful arm, redeemed them, snatched them out of slavery. And started to move them into the promised land. Led them with a pillar of fire and cloud. Part of the Red Sea. Provided for them over and over and over. So that they could be in this relationship with him. It had nothing to do with Israel. It had everything to do with God. It is no different than it is with you and I. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. Our heart is still cold and calloused. Our heart is still inwardly obsessed with ourselves. While we were still sinners... While we were enemies of God, he did everything to come after you. To give you the opportunity to receive his gift of love. To be moved out of slavery 
out of bondage of sin and death and hopelessness to plant the love of God in your heart so that you can be made alive and love him. Our God, that's a gift. That's grace. Israel would rehearse this, the Lord our God, and they would be reminded it had nothing to do with us. But their story slipped into thinking that it had everything to do with them. We do the same thing. We slip into thinking that it has everything to do with us. I got to love him more. I got to try to prove this to him more. I got to go after this more. Everything is about me. But it's all a reflection of him. But think, then look at this. The Lord is one. Love is connected to a name. And the word here that is used, like in the original Hebrew, it's like this sacred name, and they never had a vowel in it, and it's where we get the word Yahweh, and that basically just means I am. The Lord is one. I am. You love who I am. You're in relationship with who I am. You're not in a relationship with the God that you want to pick and choose. I am not the construction of your own opinions. I am who I am, and you're in this relationship with me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am one. I'm united. I'm loyal. There are multiple gods, monotheism. And folks, in, in, in the world today, plural, pluralism is just rampant. Right? We might not have like tangible little gods like they did maybe in the Middle East still today. Like we don't necessarily have that, but we, we basically have in our culture where everybody's their own God and acts like their own God because everything is about ourselves and we're going to self-esteem and we're going to love everybody and I'm really good and I'm really happy and everything's about me and me and me and me. Well, that's, that's idolatry. And so what happens is when we start to think of God, we pick and choose the God that we want to worship because it's all about me. And here's the sad reality, is that has crept into some churches. Like today, there's this movement of people who are literally saying, oh, we're deconstructing Christianity. I'm deconstructing what God has said. I'm, in other words, I'm going to pick and choose what I want. And if this part of God doesn't fit with how I think and how I live and how I experience life, well, that's gone. I call that Mr. Potato Head God. I'm going to put the nose on the side. I don't like this leg. I'm just going to pull that one off. And here's my God. Nope. The Lord. You're in a relationship with the Lord. The I am. I am who I am. And when you understand that, that you... That God, this holy God, this God of pure love and grace and goodness and mercy and even wrath because of his justice, he set his affections on you and did everything in his power to save you and to redeem you. Like, oh my goodness. The problem isn't that we don't love God enough, it's that we don't know how much God loves us. Because when you start to get a glimpse of that, something happens in your heart. How then? Here's the million dollar question. How do we love him with our heart? How do we do it? Well, first, we got to understand, this is, this is a command 
spoken to his people. Not to God's enemies, but to his people. It's a command for all creation. Yes, absolutely, I get that. But God's enemies, those who are not in a relationship with him, cannot love him. They can't do it. Just like you and I, before Jesus got into our hearts, we couldn't do it because we need him to give us a heart of flesh. We need him to put the love of God inside of us to want to love him. So this means there's something that we can actually do. But if you have never repented and received the good news of Jesus Christ, like that's what you should do. Respond to that. But how do we do it for those of us who are following Jesus and trying to love him with everything to say, take it all. How do we love him with our heart? And, and I, I'm the type of person that when I read scriptures, I try to always put myself in the pages. And so what I was doing this week was I was like remembering the story when Jesus rose again from the dead and he met Peter and the disciples at the beach and he's got a fire there and he's cooking some fish and they're having this conversation and then Jesus looked at Peter and I started imagining what would it have been like to be in Peter's shoes in this moment where Jesus would look after me, look at me after everything that I experienced with him for three years to the moment when he was being tried unjustly, denying him, knowing that he, was, he died, and believing that it was all was lost. And I went back to fishing, and Jesus shows up from the dead. And also we're having a breakfast over a campfire, and Jesus goes, Brandon, do you love me? How would I feel? What would be stirring inside of me? And it's just a fascinating scene because Peter just goes, Yes, Lord, I love you. You know, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And a third time, do you love me? Peter now a little hurt. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And as I was thinking about that, it dawned on me. Jesus didn't need to be affirmed. Like, Jesus didn't need to hear that Peter loved him. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus was trying to do something in Peter. And every time Peter said, I love you, back to Jesus, it was a confession that Peter was making saying, I believe you love me as well because you can't love him unless you know how much he loves you. And I was thinking about that. Here's a question I want to ask you. Right now, do you believe with 100% certainty that God loves you? 100%. Your insecurities, the areas of your pride, the areas of your weakness. He's not surprised by any of this, the things you've done, all this kind of stuff. 100%. How secure are you? I know the, t the quick answer is like, of course. Yeah, God so loved the world. But like, like I won't really want to encourage you as you walk out of this room. Think about it. I found myself thinking this week like, gosh, if I were to be really honest, I would probably say 75%, 70%, I believe he loves me. Because there's another 25 to 30% of me that's really insecure. I know, he, I know he loves me, but I'm sure he doesn't love all of me until I get this right. And so I'm going to get this right and maybe show him and prove him. That, like, is there insecurity? 
in you? Or, I hope, is there arrogance in you where you go, of course he loves me. (laughs) Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't you? And you're probably single. Come on, that's just funny. I want to share with you a passage that just has been working in my heart. It's one, and, and it was fascinating because I, I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage and I've preached this passage, and I had this moment or aha, I was like, the Lord, I felt like it just opened my mind to something, and I want to share it with you. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is making this prayer on behalf of Ephesus, and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. Now, if you're a circle, underline, note-taking type, write down grant, okay? That's an important word. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, now get this, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what hit me. It's as if Paul is praying that if they get this right, everything else falls into place. And he starts out by saying, may God grant you. Okay? That's like, that's like Paul saying, God, would you give this to them out of your grace? Would you be so pleased to grant this to them? And he goes, to be strengthened with all my empower through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's how oftentimes when I pray for the strength or power of the Holy Spirit is usually to do something external. God, would you give me the strength through your Holy Spirit to not yell at my kids, right? Like, God, in your strength in the Holy Spirit, would you give me the strength to not tailgate this person at the Y and be mad and honk my horn? Like, God, would you give me the strength to, like, you know, heal this person or be bold and proclaim the name of Christ? It's always this external thing. But in this moment, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God, would you grant them through the power of your Holy Spirit to have the strength that their hearts would be rooted in Christ, by faith, so that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's what nailed me. You on your own can never know the love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge. He has to grant it to you. It's like, have you ever tried to match someone up? You've never done that? You have a friend, you're like, ooh, they'd be really good with so-and-so. I need to get them together. And you, like, hope that they would fall in love. You can't make them fall in love, no matter how hard you try. All you can do is make an introduction. That's about it. Like, you can't make someone fall in love. I can't make you fall in love with God. There's nothing that I can do. to All I can do is make an introduction. And in fact, even in our own will and our own efforts, we can't get ourselves to love God. He has to 
granted to us. And for those that are following Jesus, we would still should be praying, God, would you help me understand even just a little bit more of the love of Christ, a little bit more of the love of Christ, a little bit more of the love of Christ, because the moment we understand that much more of God's love, we're going to want to love him with all of our heart. Folks, the problem isn't that we don't love God enough. It's that we don't know how much God loves us. And Paul's saying, I am praying. I am bowing before the Father in heaven by whom all names come and all families come that he would grant you because you can't do it, that he would grant you by his grace to give you the ability to understand even more the love of Christ. You want to know the love of God more? Ask him. I have a hunch. And I think my hunch is correct. That if you ask God to strengthen you through the power of his Holy Spirit to know more of the love of Christ, my hunch is that God will say, yes. The problem is we don't ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Because we try so hard to earn that love, to maintain that love, to sustain that love, to prove to God our worth by doing X, Y, and Z. God's like, stop. Look at my love. Now, look at this verse. This verse, verse, this verse blew my mind this week. As the Father has loved me, how has the Father loved Jesus? You've got to answer that question. Perfectly, unconditionally, joy. Look at what Jesus says. So have I loved you. As the Father has loved me. If you want to know how much I love you, just think about how much the Father loved me, his only son. That's how I love you. There's a, there's a title or a nickname or whatever you want to say that God has for you if you're in a relationship with him. You're his beloved. You're his beloved. Love is to will the good of the other completely. He'll turn all things out for good to those who love him because God is always thinking of your good because that's what love does. The Lord, our God, the Lord, love him with all your heart. You got to know him. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Some of you have it memorized. Above all else, I know I got the wrong translation. This is the translation I have memorized. Above all else, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance. Above all else, this is connected to the Shema. 
because he's speaking again to someone whose heart is in relation with God. Above all else, guard your heart. If there's anything in your life that you need to be vigilant on, it's your heart. Because out of there comes the wellspring of life. How do you guard your heart? Remember the love of God for you individually. Preach the gospel to yourself. One of my favorite hymns, Isaac Watts, wrote this hymn, The Wondrous Cross, because the reality is loving God is really learned at the cross. Here's what he said, wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. But Father, we do ask, Lord, as a church, that you would grant us the power through your Holy Spirit to be strengthened in our inner person, to have the love of Christ rooted inside of us. God, would you grant us the ability to know this love, this love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, I ask that in in this time that we would do what Isaac Watts did and survey, look at, analyze, remember the wondrous cross. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are not convinced that you love them 100%. Lord, I pray that you administer to their areas of insecurity, areas of their pride, areas of their hurt, areas of their confusion. Lord, I pray for those who doubt that the love of God is the remedy to whatever issue they face. Lord, I pray for those in this room whose heart is still cold or calloused. Lord, that your love would penetrate. Lord, I ask that during this song, as we reflect on this, that we would sing with 100% authenticity that my heart, my heart will sing no other name. Jesus. Lord, would you, by your spirit in 2020, give us the courage and conviction to live with our hands open and say, Lord, take it all. Praise in Jesus' name.